Father, I pray that you would meet each individual here, Father God, at the place of their felt needs. I pray that by your spirit, through the prayer, through the worship, through the message, that you would touch them, Father, and that you would call us and draw us on. Give us wisdom, Father, in a world that is sometimes just seems so absolutely out of kilter. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be reading from James chapter 3, verses 13 from 8 through 18 in a, in a little while. Um, I'm 64 years old. I came to the Lord at age of 16 at the tail end of the Jesus revolution. So I've watched quite a bit what has happened since then, and some of it just makes me shake my head. I am so confused at how some of these things have, have happened. And so part of what I'm going to share today is some of my understanding through years, you know, how have some of these things developed, the, the tremendous falls in Christian leadership, um, the development of megachurches, some of which has been good, some of the things are just absolutely crazy, um, and this Christian nationalism that we're seeing so much, there's just so many things that I shake my head at and wonder how did we get here. And so in my search for how we got here, this is some of, some of the results. Basically, everybody has a philosophy. Everybody has a way of looking at life. Even if you say, I don't like philosophy, it's too big a word, never took the class, I don't have a, that's a philosophy. Not having a philosophy is a philosophy. It's a mindset, it's a way that we interpret the world. It involves what we value and what we don't value. And the, the term philosophy there, it says from the Greek, and if you look, it's philosophia. That end, the second part there, sophia, is the same Greek word that is wisdom in the portion we're gonna read today. So, so philosophy is sort of like, philos is, is a form of love, and sophia, it's really the wisdom we love or the love of wisdom. The study of general and fundamental questions about existence, knowledge, values, reason, mind, and language. And we all have a philosophy that we love. Now our philosophies were molded by so many different things. They're the result of our family culture. They're the result of our local culture. Um, Alex shared last week how he knows now how to properly pronounce the word water. That's because he's come to this local culture. Our national, our American culture, our political culture, the church, and particularly the U.S. church and the evangelical church has shaped our philosophies, and our time and our generation shapes our philosophies. What I want to challenge us to do is to take a look at what it is that we believe and be sure that it lines up with Scripture so that we don't become a, a victim of a bad Philosophy. So let's look at James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. In the NIV, there's a title, Two Kinds of Wisdom. Just like in the book of Proverbs, we have foolishness and wisdom. Here, James is saying, when it all boils down, there's only two types of wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, 
Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such quote-unquote wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, even demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So what do I mean by the way we're shaped by our philosophy, our family culture? I grew up in a family that had a business. And so there were, there is a Christian family. They, my grandparents donated to 20 different ministries. Part of the reason they saw themselves in business was to give to the kingdom. But there was this one thing that if in, in our business something became complicated or was gonna be difficult, you could always lie because it's only business. And so there was this, it's okay to lie if it's business. Now that's not biblical, but that was a part of my family culture that I needed to have cleaned out. Our local culture, we talked about the word water. How about our national culture? Our national identity is rugged individualism. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I don't need anybody else. Just give me a gun and some rice and I'll just live forever and take care of all my enemies. And if anybody does anything against me, I will get revenge beyond what they did to me. That's not biblical. Anybody who's honest at all knows I cannot survive by myself. I need help. We need one another, particularly in this faith walk that we're in. We need each other. And when I look at scripture, it becomes clear to me that there are no bootstraps strong enough that I can lift myself up out of my sin. Jesus had to come and do that for me. Then with our political environment, it has become so that you can't care about abortion and the environment both. If you care about the environment, well, then you're on team A. If you care about abortion, you're on team B. But if you care about both, what's wrong with you? And those are, that's not a biblical stance. What about our church culture? Bigger is better. Isn't that a part of our, church, our general church culture? I found this quote and I fell in love with it by a man named Edward Abbey. Growth for the sake of growth is the ideology of a cancer cell. It's the only thing that considers growth for the sense of growth good. It would have been wonderful. There are a lot of churches that had leadership problems. It would have been a lot better if they grew more slowly and biblically. And then we're shaped by our generation, our time. I buy and read old theology books because I want to not just be shaped by the theology of my peers, I want to be challenged by the theology of my forebears. And so we need to be open to all those things. So we're at letter C in the notes. Here are some observations from this particular portion of scripture. Why is it that this idea of winning by losing is so difficult for us? 
One of the reasons is that we have been programmed that winning is better. It's a part of who we are. And so even when we make the sacrifices that we believe contribute to the ultimate win, that we have to sacrifice, we have to lose to win, when we go through that, there's something in us that, that sh is shaken. And some people refuse to let go of that. And because they refuse to let go of that, that's why we're in the shape we're in. So let's look at, at James chapter 3 and compare different things. Two main types of philosophy. There's a good life and a bad life. That's pretty easy. Humility versus pride and boasting. Humility seems like weakness to people. Humility seems like losing. You got to put up a tough front, look tough, even if you don't have what it is that you acting like you have, fake it till you make it, look strong, and don't apologize. Don't be humble. But that's not what we're called to. Sweet generosity versus bitter envy. Why should I give? I need to keep for myself. Because at some point I'm going to be evaluated by what I have, so the more I have, the more of a winner I am. Accepting the truth versus denying the truth. Oh, there are so many things I would like to say here, but uh, we will not. Order versus disorder. Good practices versus evil practices. Pure, which we'll talk about later, much more versus being double-minded. The word pure here is without imperfection, and we'll look at that in a, in a moment. Peace-loving versus being argumentative striving to win there's this holy war mentality now within the church have you ever said happy holidays to someone and you get attacked i don't know if the person might be of another faith and so i want to be humble i want to have respect i want to be able to have an open conversation so i may say happy holidays i've said happy holidays and had a christian person berate me because it's not the holidays it's Christmas, and Christmas is Jesus' birthday. Consider it, and the opposite of that in the Greek would be abusive, people who abuse their power. One of the things that I've seen a rise of in my 50-some years in the church, or nearly 50 years in the church, is we take a strong stance on sin with some people and a very liberal view with others. I've been in services where two teenagers who got a little too physical are called to come before the church and confess what they did in front of the whole body. But when the pastor of a mega church has a similar type of sin, we've got to cover it up, let it go, because it's going to affect the kingdom of God if people find that out. Now, why would you do that? Because we've got to stay big rather than stay right. Submission versus dominance. There is a real call for dominance. We're going to take over. That's what a lot of the, the idea behind Christian nationalism is. We take over, we have control, we have power. When the church has done that throughout history, it has never worked out well. There was a time where they talked in, in Rome when Rome became a Christian nation where they would say, we're going to go worship the sun, S-O-N, and people thought they were going to go worship the sun. It has never worked out well in history. 
the idea of being submissive. It's not a winning characteristic, but it's a Christian characteristic. Now this word submissive here, what it means is, if I'm in a conversation with you, it doesn't matter what, how much power you have, doesn't matter if you're older than me, doesn't matter who you are in comparison to me, I can't use my status against you, it's the truth that I submit to. When I was in high school, my biology teacher found out I was a Christian, he would give me a little bit of a hard time. So he would talk about, you know, how, how long the earth had been around and all these different things, say, well, what do you think about that, Sam? And so I started giving him a hard time back. And there were times where we would battle back and forth because I wanted to win. And the, the guy who shared the lab table with me said, you know, none of us are learning anything while you two guys are doing this. Don't you think it would be more like your Jesus to not say anything at all than to fight with this guy? Now, I wanted to fight with him, but I was at that point, thank God, my heart was in the right place where I was like, you know, you're right, and I stopped. That young man is a believer today. I'm not saying because of me, but I, I could have made it a lot worse. <laughs> full of mercy rather than full of judgment. I know people who watch Christian ministries and say her shirt's unbuttoned too low, her hair isn't right, his, he shouldn't be wearing jeans. I mean, they will judge almost anything, even within our brothers and sisters. Imagine trying to find your way, break your way into a church when as you walk in, you can tell people are evaluating everything about you, including your clothes and your haircut. I once brought a young lady to church after sharing the gospel with her on a Sunday. She had contemplated suicide called me, I was the last call, and shared the gospel with her. I said, well, you need to come to church. I was even smart enough back then to know I can't be your savior. You need to get into community. And so I brought her to church. And when she came to church, I was dating my wife at the time, my, my, who, my present wife now at the time. When I brought her to church, there was a little conclave of girls who got together and said, I can't wait to tell Debbie who he brought to church. You believe her? Or you believe him? And do you believe the dress she wore? Do you see how low cut it is? Do you see how short it is? And at the end of the service, the pastor shared the gospel and then said, if anybody would want to come up to receive the Lord, please come and we'll have someone pray with you. And about four or five people came up. She was one of them. Not one person went to pray with her. They were more concerned about my relationship with Debbie and judging the way this girl was dressed than her entering the kingdom. And finally, an 80-some-year-old woman who's one of the sweetest people in the world went up and prayed with her, and they became best friends until that lady died. Good fruit rather than bad fruit. Impartial rather than showing favoritism. Right? Even if they're wrong, because they're on our team. And that needs to change. Sincere versus insincere, or you can type in there, write in there, hypocritical. So, godly philosophy often looks like loser philosophy, but we must understand that in God's game, when the clock runs out in this world is not when the clock runs out for God. And so we can sacrifice, we can be humble, we can be meek, we can give rather than take, we can give away power 
rather than try to accept than to, to cling to it just as Jesus did and we will ultimately find ourselves winners of the big game application we have entered into this kingdom we've been called out of darkness into the kingdom of light when we're called into that we're called into a new philosophy and new values which means that we must examine the way we think so that we don't become a part of this problem. Remember, the kingdom of God is, Jesus compared it to yeast in dough. It's slow, it's tiny, it works slow, but it is effective and pervasive. We have a lady that we work with in the ministry I work for from India, and she said, you know it's God when it starts out small, goes slow, small, slow, and then it's placed at the feet of Jesus. That's where the trust is, not within human power. So that word pure we talked about. Uh, James says, first of all, it, this wisdom is pure. That word there is the word hogni in, in uh, Greek. It connotes the absence of spiritual, ethical, and behavioral imperfections. It's the opposite of being double-minded. The word double-minded in Greek is double-souled. I don't have two souls. I don't have a soul that's going in one direction and in another direction. It's all going in Jesus' direction. And we have now where that's not taking place in much of society. The church has often made purity about our hobbies. What movie did you saw that movie? You're not pure. You dance, you're not pure. You drink this, you eat this, you're not pure. You wear this, you're not pure. About these little things, and biblically, when we talk about being worldly, it's really about our mindset, our philosophy, our values. What is really important to you? What guides your decisions? So we must examine ourselves to see where we have embraced wrong idea so we don't become a part of the problem once we do that doesn't jesus say once you take the the log out of your eye you can take the speck out of someone else's once we've done that we can be more effective in critiquing and changing the fault, faults in the church that have come now first peter 2 verses 1 through 3 talk about getting rid of those things that are not good first thessalonians 5 21 and 22 talks about hearing something and keeping the good and throwing out the bad. And so I challenge you and I call you today, as we hear about these things and as we struggle with some of the ideas, let's evaluate our core values and be willing to change them. Number four, we must strive for intellectual honesty. We read there, do not deny the truth. There are times where you see, where I have seen Christians make very complicated arguments to get to the point they want to get to rather than simply accepting the truth. We must radically free ourselves from the Jesus and syndrome where two things are equally important to us. One of the things that got me the most was uh, it was Colorado Representative Lauren Boebert who was asked, how many AR-15s do you think Jesus would have had? Now, this woman who claims to be a believer, this what a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel. How many AR-15s do you think Jesus would have had, lady, to be able to share his sacrifice, his willing sacrifice to give his life so that people could be saved out of their sin? But what did she say? Well, not enough to keep him 
his government from killing him because it was about Jesus and guns, not just about Jesus. What are your Jesus ends? Jesus is the Lord of my life, but this other thing is just as important to me. Number six, we must avoid isolation. Fellowship is a key, and don't just fellowship people who are your age or think like you. Because then we get into this groupthink thing and we just encourage ourselves that we're right. Fellowship is so important to have our ideas challenged and then not to fight, but to earnestly and lovingly seek the truth together. And most of all, this is where I just don't understand some of the things I hear people say. We must maintain our love affair with the word of God. James tells us the word of God is a mirror. Every morning when I get up, I think I have hair. When I first wake up, I think of myself as around 40. But then I put my feet on the ground, and now that I'm in my 60s, it's like, oh, no, I'm not 40 anymore. But when I get to the mirror, I realize. Now, at first, I didn't know that. Until I believe it was my wife who lovingly said, I sat up in the balcony today and I realized, because she's shorter than me, so she's normally looking at me this way, you, you've got a bald spot and that, that thing has spread since then. So we, get, we read a book and we're like, that's a great idea, especially if it makes us seem like winners. Oh, look, we're winning, we're tougher, we're better, our ideas are better, we're the best. But let's spend time in the word to see, are we taking this down? The church has done wonderful things throughout its history and has represented its Lord well, and the church has humiliated and embarrassed its Lord and done terrible things throughout history. Let's be on the right side and encourage others to do so. Remember, the word of God is that solid foundation. I don't want to build my life, my philosophy, my, my way of wisdom on the sand. I want to build it upon the rock. And Jesus said that we are sanctified or made pure by God's word. How does I keep my wisdom pure? How do I get rid of those imperfections so that once the, the log is out of my eye, I can help my country, my church, my world by staying close to the word. And what is so wonderful is like every other thing in our Christian walk, this isn't y'all need to work harder. This is God has provided a way. Right there in the same very book of James is this tremendous promise. If any of you lacks wisdom, if your philosophy ain't quite right, if your core values are skewed, you should ask God, who gives generously to all. Are you part of all? Gives generously to all, and how does he do it? Not the way we were told, without finding fault. You don't go to God and say, God, I don't know, this guy talked about this stuff today. I'm not sure I really understood everything he said, but are there areas in my life that need to change? God's not going to say, you should have studied harder so you could answer that question for yourself. He is going to lead you into those truths. 
That humility that he calls for is what helps us to find those truths. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Alex?